This morning I'd like to speak about some of the, uh, well, the two main changes that um, we'd like to implement in our practices surrounding the Eucharist come the first of, uh, <clears throat> of, the, of the new year. And I'll begin with a text here from our first reading. It's a really, it's pretty cool. Basically, it's a prophecy about how all of the nations in the future, the different Gentile nations, are going to serve, uh, serve the Lord. And uh, that's quite a feat to get all of these different people groups, different languages, different histories, different ethnicities, different blood, all this kind of stuff together to actually have a single worship that they offer to God. That, I mean, that's an amazing accomplishment. It couldn't be done apart from divine wisdom and divine power. And what's really interesting is it says that, uh, our translation says, and they will serve the Lord all with one, they'll speak the same thing, okay, and they'll serve the Lord with one accord. Our translation says with one accord. Literally in the Hebrew it says, they will serve the Lord with one shoulder. That's literally what it says in the Hebrew. They will all serve the Lord with one shoulder. The shoulder being what you carry a burden with. And, uh, you know, I think immediately we see the body of Christ. How can, how can all of these different groups have a single shoulder? Well, if they all have a single, if they are a single body. They can have a single shoulder. And, and here we have this kind of prophetic intimation of the body of Christ. And there's the body of Christ mystical, and that's us. But then there's uh, the body of Christ Eucharistic, and that's the sacraments of most holy Eucharist. And uh, the Second Vatican Council teaches us that the Eucharist is the source and the summit of the Christian life. It's the most central and important part of who we are as the body of Christ. It's what Jesus left behind as a memorial of himself. And it is his real presence. And I think we all believe that. I think we all know that. It's his real presence even to the particles. So the very particles that will fall from the host, each of those particles is truly Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God, present in his bodily as well as his spiritual and divine nature. That's a remarkable mystery. So what great reverence should we have for the body of Christ? Now, uh, with these two different changes, what the, we're really trying to do is just bring our practice into alignment with the norms of the church. So if you're curious, I've got some sheets in the back, and you can take one when you leave if you haven't already taken one. And these sheets are, the, are some lists of maybe four or five different norms that stick out in my mind uh, when I read the church's requirements for how uh, communion should be administered. And you'll see that they're pretty reasonable. They make sense as far as what our practice is doing. They're in accordance with the norms of the church. Um, and I mean, I, I'm a minister of the gospel uh, I'm a minister of Jesus Christ. I represent him, but I only do so in as much as I represent the church's hierarchy. So I can't, I can't minister to you in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, like just of my own authority. I don't have the authority to do that. My authority comes from the hierarchy. So like if I'm going to badmouth my bishop, okay, if I'm going to criticize the pope, who am I? I can't do that. I have to be in alignment with all the different norms that flow forth from the Vatican to the bishops to the priests, and I don't have the authority to kind of just ignore that stuff. If I, if I did do that, I wouldn't be doing any of you any good. So 
so this is kind of the this is how we stay um, unified and 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 that one body, that one shoulder, that one voice. So the first change um, is uh, is based on the principle that. Um, you, if the, the communicant receives the host from the minister, the communicant, just he, he or she can't walk away with the host. The host needs to be consumed in the presence of the minister. Now, if there's someone who's homebound and they want to be, communion wants to be brought to them, we have an extraordinary minister who does that. Now, for, for a very long time, we've had a practice where a family member fills in that role. Uh, and we can continue to do that, but we just have to understand that that family member is, in effect, an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. And so as such, you know, they're an extension of the ordinary minister's ministry. I need to be in touch with them. I need to know who they are. Uh, and I need to make sure that they're properly formed and that they're administering communion properly and that they're doing their job uh, rightly. Uh, that's my responsibility. If I were to fail in that responsibility, the Lord would hold me accountable, not you guys, me. <laughs> So I gotta I gotta make sure that this is being done properly. Um, now some people are saying they might say, well, we've been doing this for so long. Now Father Tedeschi is going to make us go through this long arduous process. Or I, I don't believe it's long and arduous. What I just want to do is know who they are. I want them to make contact with me so I know. Hey, oh, who are you? You know, get your name down. I'm going to write the name down. They'll have a special pix uh, that's registered with the parish. They'll bring that picks up to the communion line of the main celebrant, again, just so we can keep make contact with the person. And they'll receive a little uh, rites, just to make sure that they're doing the churches right when they administer communion. And I have a little conversation with them, it's maybe five, ten minutes. I don't believe that's burdensome. Uh, I think that's a reasonable way of fulfilling uh, the norms of the church. Um, and then the second uh, change that we're going to have is... Um, you know, again, on the principle that uh, the faithful cannot walk away with the communion, is we have people sometimes who have mobility issues and they're in the congregation, they want to receive communion. And that's perfectly fine. We'll, we'll bring you communion, but it's got to be an extraordinary minister or an ordinary minister. Now, there's some flexibility and experiment with that. Well, how does that work? You know, we want to make sure that no one misses communion and doesn't get communion brought to them. So, you know, we're going to try to, uh, when the communion minister is done giving communion to the people that come to line, he or she will go and bring communion to the person. Now, if somehow that's not working out, we, we can try any number of things. Maybe we'll have an extraordinary minister whose sole duty is to bring communion to those people who are in the pews. Maybe that's a possibility. I don't know. So there's some room for experiment uh, in that. But what we can't do is have the Eucharist being passed around or the Eucharist being walked away with because uh, we've got to keep track of it. I'm accountable to the Lord for what happens with communion. Um, and so we just got to keep tabs on it. And that, that's really the rationale behind these two changes. And ultimately, we just remember what this is all about. It's all about uh, unity, uniformity, and a proper reverence uh, for the body of Christ, both mystical and Eucharistic, so that God would be glorified, so that the body of Christ would be healthy. Uh, we believe that um, when there's a proper reverence shown to the Eucharist, when the Eucharist is rightly discerned as the body of Christ, there's going to be spiritual power and blessing and grace and salvation that is released for souls. So ultimately, this is for the salvation of souls. Uh, and it's for... Uh, that witness, that prophetic witness that the scriptures might be proved true, that we all might speak.
speak with one voice and carry the burden with one shoulder.